And of course, for all my listeners in the Georgia area, you can come out to Booch Fest at the Anchor Bar in Kennesaw, Georgia. Located at 2708 Town Center Drive, Kennesaw, Georgia, 30144. Again, that address is 2708 Town Center Drive, Kennesaw, Georgia, 30144. The next two shows will be February the 2nd and February 16th. The show will be hosted by me, and it will feature some of the funniest comics the Atlanta comedy scene has to offer. Some have been doing it for years, some who are relatively new, and some who may even be stepping on a comedy stage for the very first time. All comedy acts, no matter how long they've been performing, are welcome to be in this show. So come on down for a great night of comedy as the booch is taking over Kennesaw.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week is a special pay-per-view edition of The Booch Cast, as I'll be providing a full recap of the WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. This took place last night on the WWE Network. I was at a very fun and entertaining watch party with all of my buddies uh, checking out... uh, Uh, this amazing pay-per-view and I'm going to stop uh, beating around the bush right now and just jump right in to this kick-ass show and we obviously we're gonna skip the pre-show because as I've mentioned numerous times before we don't do the pre-show here on the Boochcast pre-show don't mean a damn thing I've said it a million times before and I will continue to say it at the beginning of every single one of these shows if it's not on the actual main card it ain't worth talking about so we're gonna kick things off with the first First official match of the evening and that is of course the Elimination Chamber match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles in which we saw the Samoan Slaughterhouse, Nia Jax and Tamina, Fire and Desire Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. We saw the Boston Hug Connection, Sasha Banks and Bayley. We saw the Riot Squad, Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan. We saw the Iconics, Billy K and Peyton Royce, and of course, the team with no name, Carmella and Naomi. And speaking of Carmella and Naomi, one thing I want to mention before I get into the actual matches, I loved their entrance at the beginning of this show. The fact that, that Carmella originally came out to her thing, she was coming out to the ring, she does her moonwalk, which is very, very cool, and then all of a sudden they cut to Naomi's music, and both of them are wearing glow-in-the-dark clothes and doing the same dance and slide to the ring. So they actually started to look act and act like a tag team which I thought was great now obviously they don't have a tag team name but I felt that it made sense for this match and if anything it showed respect for the women's tag team titles because one thing I've always believed about tag teams is they need to dress the same and work and be able to work well together as a team that is what makes tag team wrestling so special and that's the difference between seeing teams wrestle and just two random singles guys thrown together for the sake of a match is it needs to look like one team is trying to beat another team and dressing alike and having a team name those are just the foundations before you get into the in-ring work and the double team moves so I love the fact that Carmella and Naomi even though they were the only team in here that is not a real tag team actually dressed well together It was also not a shock to me that they were the first team eliminated in this entire, um, you know, match. But I will say, out of everything that I saw in this match that took place, the Iconics were amazing in this match. The Iconics kicked ass. They were my favorite part of the match. They dominated a lot of it, and to eliminate Naomi and Carmella, they did a double team move where they pinned her at the same time. Billy Kay did a sunset flip where she kind of grabbed the waist of... Naomi, and then all of a sudden, uh, Peyton Royce does this flip where she grabs the legs and pulls them down like an alligator type of pin, and they go one, and the ref counts one, two, three, and eliminates them. That was a highlight in this match for me. Now, of course, Nia Jax and Tamina they dominate this cage. They were the last to come out, and at 
one point they're actually grabbing Man Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville and throwing them into the cage like rag dolls, literally swinging them around like they're nothing, which I thought was awesome because you know Mandy and of course Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, not exactly my favorite tag team in this, but loved seeing them get beat up. And of course they uh you know they dropped the the Riot Squad. Uh, Nia Jax is a Samoan drop. Tamina goes up top, hits a splash. The Riot Squad's eliminated, and then of course Nia gets charged into a elimination chamber pod and breaks it, which shocked a lot of us because we know there's another elimination chamber match happening later in the night. So we're thinking, how the fuck is this going to happen? How are they going to change the doors? Well, apparently Desmond says they got plenty of swinging doors. They can change it. I'm going to have to take his word for it on that one. But um, in the end, Mandy and Bailey at one point start climbing the cage. They're on top of the pod. Sasha follows. Sasha and Bailey are double teaming Sonya at the top. Then eventually they come down from the pod. Mandy suplexes Sasha for a two count. Mandy and Sonya try to double team Sasha. Sasha reverses, drops both of them. Sasha goes for the bank statement, locks it in, and Sonya taps out. And Bailey and Sasha become the first ever women's tag team champions. Now I knew Bailey and Sasha were gonna win. Somehow I knew it. And you know what? The crowd was chanting, "You deserve it." And the truth is, they do. Because out of all the women on the roster, Sasha and Bailey are truly the closest tag team. Now the Iconics claim that they're the closest because they've known each other since high school, apparently. But as far as in-ring competitors, Sasha and Bailey are on top of their game. They were the two best in the women's division of NXT. They put it on the map. They had the best one-on-one -on -one women's match of all time. If anyone deserved to be the inaugural tag team champions on that roster, it was definitely them. Sasha Banks, already a four-time women's champion. Bailey, at least a one-time women's champion. These two are truly over with the crowd, and they have great, amazing chemistry. So they were definitely a perfect pick. But what I found the most interesting was that Bailey and Sasha and Sonya and Mandy were the two teams that started things off in the cage, and yet they were the last two teams in it. They lasted longer than the other four, te team four teams, which I thought was phenomenal. It started with two, and it ended with the same two. I thought that was pretty cool booking. And of course, you know, you, you couldn't have asked for more of an entertaining Elimination Chamber match than this. The women put on a match that I truly think was hard to follow. That's why on Twitter I posted the hashtag follow that locker room because the women left it all on the line in that match to crown the first ever women's tag team champions. Now, this the true test is upon them because now that we've had this Elimination Chamber match, now that the women's tag team titles are now officially a part of WWE, now we need to know how this is going to work. Do Sasha Banks and Bayley flip-flop between both shows? Are we going to see them fight on Raw? Are they going to be fighting Raw women and then going to SmackDown and fighting SmackDown women? Do they flip-flop depending on which rivalry they're in? So if they're feuding with a SmackDown team, are they going to be on SmackDown every week till that match is over? And if they lose to a team on SmackDown, do they, do they go back to Raw? Or do they suddenly become members of the SmackDown? down roster to trade one team out for another. That's the intriguing part. That's the part that's fascinating me the most. But I like the fact there's only one women's tag team champions. 
because to make a Raw and a SmackDown women's tag team titles would be way too much. But now it's time for the women to really step their game up as tag teams. We saw a lot of that in this match, which I loved. We saw actual tag team wrestling. Teams working together. Now they need to keep that momentum going. These women need to really learn the art of tag team wrestling. And what's great is they already have great teachers to help. You know, as far as I know, you know, Road Dog Jesse James and Jeff Jarrett, they both work together. They both still work at WWE as producers. You know, Road Dog Jesse James was part of the New Age Outlaws. You know, uh, Jeff Jarrett was in a was in a tag team with Owen Hart for a long time. You know, they they know tag team wrestling. And if Devon is still a producer there, which I think he is, I know Bubba Ray doesn't work there, but I'm pretty sure Devon does. Devon is another great tag team wrestler. Hell, I would bring in Bubba Ray Dudley as an agent if you could, just to agent the women's tag matches. They need experienced tag team wrestlers to educate these women on the proper way to do it. I mean. Shawn Michaels, he's an expert on tag team wrestling. He was with the Rockers, with Marty Jannetty. He also did, you know, team with Triple H a lot, you know. So these are guys that can teach them the true art form of tag team wrestling. Hell, they got the Hardys to educate them. You could probably bring in Edge and Christian to teach them a thing or two. Like, this would be the opportunity to utilize the legendary tag teams that are at your disposal to teach these women how to properly wrestle as a tag team. The, the, the ins, the outs the do's the don'ts because by doing that you strengthen the women's tag team division you make it something that is worth watching because if you can't do that then these women tag team titles will crumble this di- this division will crumble and those titles will become meaningless okay right now the women are getting their equality they're getting their tag belts we get to have a tag team division just like the men but if you want people to respect it you have to be able to deliver on the same level as the men in tag team wrestling that's the thing women need to understand just because you're given equality doesn't mean that you're going to get the same level of respect You're just given the opportunity, but you still got to rise to the occasion to get the respect. And I expect to see a lot at the women's tag team division. Now, again, I'm not knocking this match. I will go as far as to say, based on what I saw, it was a contender for match of the night. That, that that was a tough match to follow. It was solid. Those women in that ring worked well together as a team. They were teammates in there. So, especially with, at one point, uh, Sasha hitting a backstabber, Bailey hitting a Bailey to belly, thinking that was going to be the finish. And then there was a kick out. Like, these women left it all on the line and made those tag team titles mean something. Now that Sasha and Bailey have got those belts and they've got the first ever champions, now they have to conduct themselves as not only champions but as a tag team they got to do pretty much everything the uso said during the mid during Miz, during mick miz tv they got to ride together they got to eat together they got to travel together they got to do everything together they got to become real tag teams and make us believe that they're real tag teams and if these women can pull it off then that will bring honor prestige and value to those titles. If they don't, then they'll just be seen as equality participation trophies. And on that note, speaking of, uh, you know, mi- uh, speaking of uh, the Usos, that'll move us on to the next match of the evening. But before we get to that, there's a video package looking at The Miz and Shane McMahon's history as a tag team. The Miz comes out to the stage, introduces his wife, Maurice, and Maurice announces that they are having another baby. Miz says he's dedicating this match to his unborn child. So, Maurice. 
Clarice is definitely the definition of barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> I mean, obviously Maurice didn't walk out to the ring barefoot, didn't walk out to the stage barefoot, which is good. But, you know, they just, they've already had Monroe Sky. Now they're having another kid. And I'm like, damn, how, how close is, how close in age are these baby's gonna be this is pretty interesting so now the Miz is having a second kid um, which means he is once again allowed to reproduce and repopulate the earth which does kind of scare me a little bit because as I said before I, I as much as I love the Miz and Shane as a tag team it's still the Miz so the thought of, of him being allowed to reproduce makes me cringe and that's just the truth because I know how much of an asshole in real life he truly is and it's hard for me to forgive and forget that and I probably there's a good chance I never will <laughs> but I'm that's not going to take away from the fact that I love what him and Shane have been doing as a tag team and now we're going to move on to that match for the Smackdown tag team titles the Miz and Shane defend the belts against the Usos this was a really great match and once again showed the example of tag team wrestling now the Usos I knew they were going to work together as a team that that was a given now this was the Miz and Shane in their second match as a team so I was intrigued to see how this was going to go. And the Miz and Shane, once again, didn't disappoint. They showed that their chemistry is real and that they are truly a great team. So I love what I saw out of those guys. I love Shane hitting the coast to coast uh, on Jimmy Uso. Tried to do it to Jay, but Jay countered with the super kick. I thought that was epic. Miz hitting the springboard axe handle off the top was another was also good. But then of course Miz got a little arrogant, so Jay was able to hit the Samoan drop. Um, then of course at one point uh, Shane hits a flying elbow off the top rope through the announce table onto Jay. Jimmy and Miz go at it. Miz looks for the face buster. Jimmy escapes, hits a super kick. Jimmy misses a shot off the top. Miz hits the skull crushing finale the Miz is slow to pin he goes for the cover but then Jimmy reverses the pin and gets a one two three the winners and the new tag team champions the Usos and I can say right now this is a historic moment in WWE because for the first time ever for the first time ever as a man who has watched WWE all his life just about except for those moments where I defected to WCW but as someone who's been a wrestling fan my entire life and all the years I've watched wrestling this is the first time the Miz has ever lost a match and I was pissed off normally when the Miz wins a match I get mad I get pissed off and I get angry and frustrated even when I vote even when I pick the Miz to win in prediction competitions I still get pissed because I knew The Miz was going to win, but it doesn't mean I had to like it. I would reluctantly take the point. This is the one time I was pissed off and angry. And I'm going to tell you why I was pissed off and angry. Because as much as I like the Usos, I'm sick of seeing them as the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I feel like they've held those titles enough, and I feel like they can't do anything more on SmackDown. Keeping the Usos on SmackDown is a waste of time and a waste of their talent. They have been they have fought every tag team on that roster. They said it themselves. They put every tag team on lock. There is no logic in making them and keep making them tag team champions. None. Especially when The Miz and Shane McMahon are on such a role as a team where they could really keep this going. They could really make these guys truly the best team in the world and book them very well. What do the Usos get out of winning these belts? What benefit does it give the Usos? What storyline moving forward are you going to be able to make out of this that's truly going to draw? The answer? Nothing. In my opinion, the Usos shouldn't be allowed to touch the SmackDown tag belts. 
They should remain titleless until the superstar shakeup, and then you send them to Raw, have them win the Raw tag team titles. Let them dominate the Raw tag team division. Let them make the Raw tag team division great again. Because the SmackDown's already got tag team on lock. Raw's the one that needs the Usos because they need more tag teams. But they obviously can't go there if they're the SmackDown tag team champions. Unless they decide to strip them of the titles and hold some kind of tournament to crown new ones. That's really the only logic I can come up with. But I thought it was bullshit that the Usos won this match. That was stupid. It was crappy booking. It's doing nothing to benefit the show. And the Usos getting another tag title reign is just bland for the tag team division. And this is coming from a guy who loves the Usos and hates the Miz. So I know you know what I'm saying is legit if I would do that. But I think it's I think it's bull I thought it was a stupid fucking decision and it did nothing to help the show. And on that note, after the match, the Miz helps Shane do his feet at ringside and walks into the back. The Miz Miz clearly looks upset and disappointed and feels like he failed Shane. And then we move on to Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush do a brief interview backstage. Leo says Finn can't win even though in tonight's handicap match he could pin Leo to win instead of pinning Lashley. Which the sad part is that pretty much was just foreshadowing and giving away the finish right there. So to me that was a stupid fucking interview. Because all they did was pretty much tell us what was going to happen and kill all the suspense. And on that note we move on to the next match. For the Intercontinental title, Bobby Lashley defends the gold while teaming with Leo Rush to face Finn Balor. This match was good. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't edge of your seat crazy, but Finn Balor put on one hell of a performance. Him and Bobby Lashley worked very well together, and just as they said, uh, Lashley spears Balor into the corner, hits a big slam, and Balor is down. Leo tags in, goes for a frog splash. Balor rolls out of the way. Balor knocks Lashley off the apron, throws Leo down. It's the coup de grace. One, one, two, three. The winner of the match and the new Intercontinental Champion, Finn Balor. So they pretty much gave away what was going to happen. Finn Balor walked away with the Intercontinental Championship. And all I can say is Finn Balor deserves the title. You know, obviously he's not going to be Universal Champion anytime soon. So I think putting the Intercontinental title on him is a good start. It's a good temporary solution until they can finally put the Universal title back on him one day. So in the meantime, in between time, make him the IC champion. He definitely deserves it because he's a fantastic in-ring competitor. And after he took Brock Lesnar to the limit, that's really the only other step for him to go would be the Intercontinental Championship. It just makes more sense that way. And the fact that he pinned Leo Rush, it doesn't weaken Bobby Lashley. So it was a genius idea to make this match and to arrange it that way. Then of course, after the bell, Lashley chases Balor out of the ring. Balor celebrates up the ramp. Lashley's not looking happy with Leo Rush. Lashley grabs Neo by- Leo by the neck, then lets go. The crowd boos. Lashley changes his mind, picks Leo back up, slams him down with a big spine buster, and heads to the back while Leo is down in the ring. So it looks like Bobby Lashley is getting rid of Leo Rush. Or is he? I think we'll have to wait till Monday Night Raw tonight before we can figure out the answer to that question. Because the way I see it, there's two scenarios that can happen. One, he beats up Leo Rush to get the anger out of his system, but Leo finds a way to convince Bobby Lashley to take him back. Maybe he gets him another match for the Intercontinental title, or he does something else to help Bobby Lashley, or whatever. Or this could mean that Leo Rush is done with Bobby Lashley, Bobby goes on his own, and maybe we see a more devastating Bobby Lashley, and less of 
this almighty bullshit that Bobby Lashley's been doing. Maybe he goes back to being a destroyer and a dominator and getting his attitude back on track and being less of a muscle-posing, you know, douchebag. So I don't know if this is going to be a face turn for Lashley or a face turn for Leo Rush, but I am intrigued to see how this unfolds on Monday Night Raw because they got a lot to tell as far as this story goes. So I'm very, very excited to see how it unfolds. Um, and now with the fact that there's no more rematch clauses, does that mean, you know, Bobby Lashley's going to go somewhere else? Or is he going to maybe find a way to get another title shot since technically it was Leo Rush who got pinned and not Bobby Lashley? So there's a million different ways they can go about this story. But one thing is certain, Finn Balor's Intercontinental Champion is definitely better for business and then on that note we see Charlotte come out to the ring for an interview she says life is good when you're Charlotte Flair because she's going to Wrestlemania she says Becky should have learned by now and she got herself suspended she says Becky panders to the fans for their cheers and approval and she also said she looks in the mirror and gets all the approval she needs well obviously this right here was my what the Millennials would call a trigger moment for me because at this point in time, nothing disgusts me more than seeing Charlotte Flair or hearing her speak. And she said, life is good when you're Charlotte Flair. Of course it is. Because you have everything handed to you on a silver platter. Because in the wrestling business, you're a spoiled fucking princess. And she talks about Becky getting herself suspended, which was fucking dumb. Because Triple H and Stephanie had already forgiven her and Vince got involved when he shouldn't have. And then she says, Becky panders to the fans when it's weird because I get to see Becky pander to anybody. And Charlotte basically trying to say, like, you know, I don't need the fans. Well, of course you don't need the fans. You got management in your back pocket because you're the, you're the daughter of Ric Flair. That's the way it is. It's why the fans don't respect you. It's definitely why I don't respect you. And it's why no matter how many accomplishments you have, no one in the business can ever take you seriously as a competitor. Because you walk like your dad. You talk like your dad. You're the most unoriginal person in the world. And you don't deserve to be in the main event, Charlotte. All right, and on that note, um, we come out for the next match of the evening for the Raw Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey defends against Ruby Riot. This match is basically a squash. Uh, the one highlight from this is Ronda Rousey was dressed as Sonya Blade from Mortal Kombat, seeing as how she does the voice acting for the new video game. There's a new Mortal Kombat video game and Ronda Rousey's doing the voice of Sonya Blade. So she came out dressed as Sonya Blade, which looked really fucking cool. But I kind of expected this to be a squash match because obviously... Um, you know, with the length of a pay-per-view, it's usually three, four hours long. And because the Elimination Chamber match took up most of the first hour of the show, which most Elimination Chamber matches tend to do, obviously they're not going to have enough time for every match to be a knockdown, drag them out brawl. And I figured Ronda Rousey's undefeated. Ruby Riot is good, but she ain't special. And we all knew that Ronda was going to win because she needs to be the champion going into WrestleMania. So really, to try and give us an edge-of-your-seat match would be a waste of time. So it made perfect sense for Ronda to beat up on Ruby Riot, hit her with the Piper's Pit, lock in the armbar, and have Ruby tap out. Just get that shit over with. Shut the shit down so we can move on and get ready for the next, for the rest of the show and the task at hand. So, of course, after the match, Ronda and Charlotte have a stare down. Charlotte steps to the ring, comes face to face with Ronda. The camera pans around. We see Becky Lynch on crutches in the crowd. Becky comes to the ringside in the ring with her crutches. Becky comes face to face with Charlotte and Ronda. Becky starts attacking Charlotte with the crutch. 
March and Charlotte is down. And at one point, the crowd was actually chanting, she's okay, she's okay. Turns out she was. Becky repeatedly hits Charlotte with the crutch as Ronda watches. Ronda picks up the other crutch and it looks like she's going to hit Charlotte with it, but then Becky attacks Ronda from behind. Becky pummels on Ronda with the crutch until security and referees get in the ring. Security helps walk Becky to the back at ringside and it appears as Ronda is bleeding from the side of her head. Well, it turns out Ronda was bleeding from the side of her head. She got busted open the hard way. And I want to say this. I loved watching Becky beat the shit out of Charlotte with that crutch. But I hated, I hated the fact that she turned around and hit Ronda with that crutch. And it's not because I'm a Ronda Rousey fanboy or any bullshit like that. I didn't like it for this one simple reason. Now they're pretty much solidifying this is going to be a triple threat match. Which again, nobody wants to see a fucking triple threat match. We wanted Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch one-on-one. I would have loved to have seen Ronda and Becky with crutches in hand beat the shit out of Charlotte Flair. Now, obviously, when Becky hit Ronda, she got pops from the crowd. And the reason the crowd popped is because there's a lot of fans who still hate Ronda Rousey for reasons that I haven't fully heard yet, but I'm pretty sure if I heard them, I'm it, they're guaranteed to be fucking retarded. They're pretty much retarded reasons. I'm certain of it. But the fact is... It would have been way more entertaining to watch both of them beat up Charlotte because Charlotte is the one person in the match that nobody wants to fucking see. So for Ronda and Becky to just beat the hell out of Charlotte to get her out of the picture and then have them fight it out one-on-one, which is what we want to see, would be a lot better because no one wants a triple threat match. And the more I hear people try to convince me why a triple threat match is good, the more I want to take a set, I want to take a crutch and bash them in the side of the fucking head because it's a retarded thing to say. All right, and on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening, a no disqualification match, Baron Corbin versus Braun Strowman. Boring. Boring. This was boring as shit. Even right now, trying to talk about it, I almost want to fall asleep. This... It makes me gag thinking about how boring and terrible this fucking match was. I'm sorry. It wasn't entertaining at all. We've seen these two fight over and over and over again. The only difference is this time around, you know, there was no disqualification, so it could be a little bit more violent. But it was still boring as shit. Especially when, at the towards the end of the match, Braun hits a running power slam on Corbin through a table in the corner. All of a sudden, Drew McIntyre comes out. Then Bobby Lashley runs in from behind and attack, and they all attack Braun Strowman. Just like they've done on Raw so many fucking times before. They beat him down, they beat him down, and 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 beat him down. And the only thing that was different was they took two tables, stacked them on top of each other, climbed up onto two ring steps that were next to each other, and they did a triple shield, shield-like power bomb through both tables, and Corbin covers Strowman, one, two, three, the winner of the match, Baron Corbin. And again, there's no fucking reason to push Baron Corbin. Nobody likes him, nobody gives a shit about him. They are treating Braun Strowman like absolute shit, and I have no fucking idea why. He's the monster among men, and you're pretty much making him look weak and stupid all the time. Like, every show. It's it's getting fucking dumb. It's getting fucking boring. Nobody wants to see these two fight anymore. It is so boring. No one gives a shit anymore. Myself included. Okay? This match could have been great, but instead it became the shitty. And it was hard to pay attention to because it was just so boring. 
Just talking about it right now makes me almost want to fall asleep. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. Next moment, before we get to that, we go backstage where Shane McMahon is being checked on by the trainer. The Miz freaks out and says he let everyone down tonight, and Shane tells him to chill out and go home. Some people think this might lead to a breakup with the Miz turning heel or Shane turning heel. Personally, I don't think there should be a breakup yet. I think that, you know, Shane understands that the Miz is all emotional upset because he dedicated everything to his wife and his unborn child and about his dad and the Miz now feels like a failure because he blames himself. I don't know. I just feel like the fact they lost those tag belts at all was fucking stupid, but... I don't know what this is leading to, but anyway, it was just a waste of time. Next, Lacey Evans comes out to the stage and walks halfway down the ramp, then turns around and heads to the back, doing her own little fashion show. But I have no idea why Lacey Evans did that, but I do enjoy the fact that she's embracing her ladylike gimmick and how old school her attitude truly is. You know, Lacey Evans is tapping into something great, and it gets better and better all the time. And on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening, the men's elimination chamber match for the WWE title Daniel Bryan defends the gold against AJ Styles Jeff Hardy Randy Orton Samoa Joe and Kofi Kingston this match was great. Before the match, Brian and Rowan come out to the stage. Brian complains about being punished for trying to enlighten the masses. The referees order Rowan to go backstage as he isn't allowed to ringside for the match. Brian says the people on the planet need him, and he makes fun of the crowd's what chants. Brian and Samoa Joe start this match off, um, and basically, it's just these two killing each other back and forth. Daniel Bryan hitting his, you know, old school arsenal. Samoa Joe no selling. Uh, eventually, Samoa Joe becomes the first guy eliminated which is pretty fucking stupid but by the time he gets eliminated almost everybody is out of the cage to begin with and uh, of course AJ Styles is the one to eliminate Samoa Joe seeing as how Styles has had to beat Joe at practically fucking everything for the last several weeks and months and, you know, as much as I want to talk about everybody else in this match, of course, Randy Orton hitting his RKO's out of nowhere. I gotta say, the highlight of the entire match was towards the end, when it came down to Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan. Because in those final moments, the WWE actually had us believing that Kofi Kingston could walk out the WWE Champion. This was the best moment of Kofi Kingston's career. A lot of people say that the you know the mid to early the mid to late 2000s, you know early 2010s when Kofi was you know still the Jamaican guy just without the accent, you know working matches with Randy Orton was still kind of on top of his game. I I disagree. This is the best moment of Kofi's career right here. He put himself on the map, and there were times like when Kofi hit the S. SOS, we thought it was over. When he counted the running knee and hit trouble in paradise, we thought it was over. When it looked like he was going to do a splash off the top of the pod, Brian rolled out of the way. He hit that running knee to the face. The knee to face. And he hit that one, two, three, and Daniel Bryan managed to retain the title. Now, the thing is, no matter who you cheered for in that match, you couldn't be upset. I mean, Kofi Kingston put on the match of his career. After the match, Rowan comes out, helps Daniel Bryan walk to the back, but then Biggie and Xavier Woods come down and help Kofi to his feet, and they chant, thank you, Kofi, and he gets to his feet. The New Day heads to the back. You can actually hear Biggie and Xavier saying how proud they are of Kofi Kingston and the work that he put in that match. I mean, Kofi Kingston made a name for himself in this match, and the sad part is it almost didn't happen. The only reason Kofi Kingston got this spot was because Mustafa Ali got injured, and they needed someone to replace him. So Kofi Kingston... 
much as I hate to say this, needs to thank God every day that Mustafa Ali got pulled from that match. Because if Mustafa Ali was medically cleared to be in that chamber, Kofi would have never gotten this opportunity. And whether or not Mustafa Ali would have been able to put on the kind of showing in that match that Kofi did remains to be seen. We'll never know. But Kofi Kingston solidified himself as a legit main eventer on this night. I put the hashtag push Kofi. Kofi Kingston right now, he deserves the push. He deserves to be a main event player. Whether he stays part of the New Day or he splits off and goes on his own. Kofi Kingston is ready to be a singles champion. He is ready to be a main event top tier player. He is ready to be WWE champion. He is. After this match, there is no doubt that Kofi Kingston deserves to be a top tier player. Kofi Kingston is a top guy. And I, for one, could not be more proud of Kofi Kingston. It's, this is phenomenal. And I never saw it coming. Everybody else in the match was basically just there. Jeff Hardy was there to have his spot monkey moment and then get eliminated. Samoa Joe got eliminated first, which was the only part of this match that sucked. Orton got eliminated by Kofi, which was phenomenal. Styles got eliminated by Orton, which makes sense. I mean, Kofi is the most talked about thing about this pay-per-view. That's all people are going to talk about from this match. This was the match of the night because of Kofi Kingston. Kofi was able to overshadow the women's tag team title match. Like at this point, the only people that are going to focus on that are either women wrestling fans or hardcore feminists. They're pretty much the only ones that are going to give a shit about the fact that the first ever women's tag team titles champions have been crowned. Because we're going to, the rest of us are too busy talking about how great of a job Kofi Kingston did at this pay-per-view. Daniel Bryan retained the title. I can't be too upset about that because I had a feeling with, you know, everything that Daniel Bryan's doing with his gimmick right now and the fact that he just recently made that hemp belt I don't see him losing that title anytime soon if he does it'll probably be at Wrestlemania so I just knew Daniel Bryan was gonna walk out with that title but I did not expect him to have the knockdown drag him out brawl that he had with Kofi that is a moment that made this pay-per-view great and it's why this pay-per-view will always be remembered by hardcore WWE wrestling fans all right now ladies and gentlemen we'll wrap up my recap of WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view Overall, it was a relatively good show. Like I said, there were only two really shitty moments in this in this entire pay-per-view. One was the Usos winning the tag team titles, and the other was the no-DQ match between Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin. Other than that, it was enjoyable. Both Elimination Chamber matches delivered. They were they were phenomenal. Uh, the Ruby the Ronda Ruby squash match was to be expected, so it wasn't something that I hated or something that I would not recommend watch that I would not you know recommend not watching. Um, and of course, you know, everything in between was just kick-ass. This is overall a great pay-per-view. You know, a lot of people thought this pay-per-view was going to suck, but I'm glad that it lived up to the hype and made us excited for the road to WrestleMania. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will officially wrap up this week's episode of the Boochcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four 
posting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Be on the lookout for the latest episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment coming up this week where the Wens and I will be giving our predictions for the WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view set to take place this Saturday on the Peacock. That's why we had this review come out today in celebration of the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view taking place this Saturday. Wens and I will be giving our predictions. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you are following us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash the Boochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, April 1st and Sunday, April 2nd for nights one and two of WrestleMania 39. This is going to be the biggest event of the year. It's the biggest wrestling pay-per-view event. And we are excited to be getting together for WrestleMania. So make sure you guys join us for both nights. We got night one from beginning to end. That'll be one live stream episode. And then we'll have night two from beginning to end. That'll be a second live stream episode. So make sure you are joining us live on Twitch as we get together for the biggest event in all of professional wrestling. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special treat in the works. Also, you guys can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. Our first level is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. Our second level is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of people out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got our third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since sold the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. So take that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and unlike All Elite Wrestling, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You get the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money that we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use it to upgrade our equipment, we use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zach Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.